Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. I'm privileged to be able to kick off this book for us this morning. Um, 24 chapters long. Believe it or not, we're a third of the way through the year. Crazy, right, to think we're more than a third of the way through the year. And with that, that means this will be the book that pretty much we spend the rest of this year in with 24 chapters um, Pastor Mike was wishful thinking that we'd get to chapter 2 today, especially with baby dedications, communion, and the number of verses. So I think Pastor Austin is up next week, if I'm not mistaken. And um, Every part of the Bible is great, but I left him the better part of chapter 1, and we'll look at the first 25 verses this morning, and uh, blessed to be the leadoff hitter as we dive in. Um, Before we dive into the word in Luke, there is the writer of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 1, used a word, and that word was consider. He said, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Later on in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, he challenged us to lay aside everything Weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And looking unto Jesus, run this race with endurance. For consider him who endured such hostility. That word consider is a word that is one of the underlying challenges given to us in the New Testament. Over and over again, we're we're challenged by Paul to consider Jesus, to consider this life that we're living. And as I was thinking about this book and the fact that now for pretty much the rest of this year, Um, we'll probably find ourselves in this book, in this gospel. I think that's a great word for us as a church. Consider him. Consider Jesus. We spend so much time looking to the epistles to find instruction for Christian living that often we forget to stop and look at the one 
who were called to live for, who were called to emulate, who were called to shine forth through our lives his image. And the question I always come back to is, how can I emulate something that I don't know? How can I emulate something that I don't gaze upon, look to, learn about? There's no way as Christians we can be like Christ without knowing Christ, without seeing Christ, without considering Christ and gazing upon him. So I think the challenge I've given myself that I want to transfer to you is to not lose sight of just gazing upon the one whom this gospel, the gospel of Luke, is all about. We were given four gospels, three of them, make up the synoptic Gospels that tell essentially the same story, the life of Christ. And then we have the Gospel of John. And in all of those, we're given a different slant, a different picture, while telling the same story about the same man. Jesus. We see in Matthew that Matthew's slant was this one Jesus who's the king of the Jews. Mark, he was the servant king. John, he was deity incarnate. And here in Luke, he's the son of God the man who is the Son of God, who's come to seek and save that which was lost and redeem man to his Father. And so as we study these Gospels, we might ask, why four? Well, I think the four of them together give us a complete completer picture of who Christ is than just one of them by itself. And yet, we start today to look at this life of Christ and gaze upon him through the eyes of this one Luke, who, by the way, is the only Gentile writer in the whole Bible. Interestingly enough, Luke, of all the writers in the New Testament, is more like you and me. He never probably saw Jesus face to face. He probably came to know Christ as a Savior through the ministry of Paul as he went out on his missionary journeys. And yet, this is an educated man, a physician, who considered 
the claims of Paul and fully turned his life over to Christ and actually became the traveling companion of Paul and not just the author of the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. So as we dive into this book, we recognize Luke is this gospel of joy. The joy we find in the fact that the Son of God came to seek you and I, those that were lost, to do the work that his Father sent him to do by coming, teaching, dying, being resurrected to redeem you, me, mankind back to his Father. So as we dive in to our reading, let's keep in mind that word, consider. We're going to just see a little bit today. We're not even going to get to the one we're called to consider this morning, but rather just the lead up to the announcement and then his coming. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We ask, Lord, that as we look to you, that your Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us as we study your word, and that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So Luke opens up his gospel addressed to this one Theophilus. We don't know much about Theophilus. There's a lot of debate over who or what he or it is. Um, I tend to think that as physicians in those days, many times they were hired on or they were slaves of individuals. And most likely Theophilus was that person that Luke had been serving under or to in ministering as his personal physician. And the fact that he calls him most excellent would even seem possibly to indicate he was a ranking Roman official of the day. We can't categorically say that. The, 
though it would seem to indicate that. There are some that believe it was actually just a moniker that Luke used to identify the church by the name of lover of God. When you parse the name Theophilus, that's essentially what it means. And so some would say, rather than identify the church, covertly it's being written to the church and those who are lovers of God. But personally, as a literal interpreter of the Bible, I'll just stick with he was a man someone who obviously Luke was accountable to. And interestingly enough, if Luke was genuinely his slave, it would seem to indicate this man, Theophilus, truly became a lover of God through Christ because he released Luke in the future, right? Having become a believer in Jesus, Luke was released to travel and be the personal physician of Paul. He gives us the purpose of his writing in those opening verses when he says that it seemed good to him having had perfect understanding or complete understanding or a mature understanding of all things from the very first to write an orderly account. Luke was a physician. Physicians are usually extremely detailed And when you read the writings of Luke, you realize he truly was a physician in every sense of the word. I was talking to Austin before the service. What we don't realize is in sheer volume of words, Luke wrote more words about Christ and the early church than any other writer in the New Testament. You'd think it was Paul, right? Paul wrote more books. Luke used more words. 27% of the New Testament is attributed to Luke from the Gospel of Luke. In the book of Acts, Paul comes in a close second at 23%, followed by John, who got 20%. So surely when we read this book, you're going to realize he really did set out to write an orderly account of the life of Christ. It's the most detailed account we have of Christ and his life and ministry, including his birth, death, and resurrection. He lists 23 parables. He shares 23 parables in his gospel, 18 of which are not shared in any other 
of the Gospels. He shares 20 miracles of Christ, six of which are not shared anywhere else. He set out to write as detailed account as he possibly could. And also, not just to set it out, but that you may know the certainty of those things instructed. When we study the Gospel of Luke, if you really study it, you should leave your study of the Gospel of Luke more certain than ever before of your faith in Christ. The method he used was to go through eyewitness accounts. Remember, he didn't see Jesus. He didn't walk with Jesus. Most people actually many times think he must have been one of the apostles. Of course he was an apostle. He's written a gospel. In reality, he never saw Jesus. But as the consummate, studious physician, he went person to person to person. I find that a challenge to me in my faith. How detailed, how purposeful am I to study the things of God? To gaze upon Jesus, to see who he is, to learn about his life and what he's called me to be and to do. Luke didn't leave it to chance. I love Luke. He's a lot like me, or I aspire to be a lot like him. Some people, they just feel it. Maybe you're one of those people. It just, you walked in the church the first time, and you just felt it, and you turned your life over Christ. For me, it was not so. My walk with Christ is more feeling today than it ever has been. But in the beginning, it was clinical, man. I studied it. I looked at it. I had to get past all my upbringing and the things I learned in public school about where life came from. I mean, that's a challenge when you look to the things of God. And so I can relate to Luke. Luke wasn't just a guy who saw a great speaker and orator and was moved by it. He heard the claims and then went out and saw the truth of the claims. The detail with which he writes even about the birth of Christ would seem to indicate he probably even interviewed Mary to get the details of how that all went down. And he starts his gospel further back than any other writer. He starts it, as we're going to see, with the birth of John the Baptist. 
So he writes, so to put forth an orderly account, he writes so that we can have certainty. The method was through eyewitness accounts and interviews. And then he dives in. There was in the days, I'm going to read all the way through verse 25. I read slow, don't fall asleep. (laughs) There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron in her name, was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God, In the order of his division, according to the customs of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the Spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day These things take place because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long. 
in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So, sorry about that, like I said. A little slow on the read, but all that to just set the scene here and read the whole picture of what's going on. Obviously, Zacharias was a priest. In this day, there were 24 different divisions of priests, and some would say as many as 20,000 different priests alive in this day. Because of that, and because of the fact that the priests served in the temple, they actually passed around amongst those divisions the blessing and opportunity to serve. And as it came to Zechariah's division of priests, it just so happens, coincidentally, or God incidentally, that the lot falls on Zacharias to go in and serve in the temple by offering up the incense. Zacharias, it's described here of him and Elizabeth that they were righteous and blameless. You would think to yourself, Well, of course, he's a priest, right? Of course he should be righteous and blameless. But let's not forget where we're coming from as we enter in to this story. 400 years they call the dark years, where God has essentially not been speaking because of the sin, not just of the nation of Israel, but also their religious leaders. Most of the religious leaders of that day were corrupt. And you couldn't fly the banner of righteous and blameless over them. And yet... I marvel that in the midst of that, just like in the midst of this world we live in, God always has a remnant. Even if that remnant only turns out to be two people, there's always a remnant because he's always at work. And we're called to be a remnant in this day, in the dark days that we live in, to be righteous have right standing and blameless, being washed by the blood of Christ 
and striving to have a heart like David's as people after God's own heart, that he would be able to call upon us and use us. How amazing that since we know the physical writer of this book is Luke, but the real writer of this book is the Holy Spirit, how great would it be if the Holy Spirit wrote of you that you were righteous and blameless. These are unique people amongst a group of people that couldn't be called the same thing. But for such a time as that, God had preserved them and drawn them and kept them. And they had a specific purpose before the Lord that he was calling them to. And we know, as we've read the story, that God was going to use Zachariah and Elizabeth to bring forth John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Christ. And Gabriel, a little bit later on, had given us what John the Baptist's calling would be. But we need to gaze upon Zechariah and Elizabeth and understand that God is calling us to be those same people today, blameless. Interestingly enough, I can identify with them as you can identify with them because even though God would say they're righteous and even though God would say they're blameless and the world would say they must be entirely blessed because the blessings of the Lord always follow the good things of Life always follow those who are righteous and blameless, right? And yet here are these two, righteous and blameless, but in this culture viewed as probably cursed of God because Elizabeth was barren. And I'm reminded again, that just because you strive after the Lord, just because you're righteous before the Lord just because you have a heart after God's own heart. And despite the fact that you might be the shining example in the world that you live in and what it means to be a follower of Christ, it doesn't always mean that things will go the way you want them to go. And here we see that the truth of the matter is that being a Christian doesn't in any way mean your life is going to be problem-free and perfect. In fact, Jesus warned of that, warned us of that when he said, "You will have tribulation." 
difficulties, struggles in this lifetime. And though we don't always know what the future holds, we always know who holds the future, right? And as a result of that, we need to be people who trust in him. Becoming more spiritually mature such that we would be righteous and blameless doesn't mean you're going to have less problems, but it does mean that your perspective of what the world would call problems needs to change. I'm reminded of a story. Let me read it to you real quick. A young gal had two problems common to many college students. Low grades, no money. She was forced to communicate both those problems to her parents, who she knew would have trouble understanding. So after considerable thought, she determined to use a creative approach to soften the blow of the reality of where she found herself. So she wrote them a letter. Dear Mom and Dad, just thought I'd drop you a note to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy named Jim. He quit high school after grade 11 to get married. About a year ago, he got a divorce. We've been going steady for two months and plan to get married in the fall. Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment. I think I might be pregnant. (laughs) At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, although I'd like to finish college sometime in the future. Then on the next page, she continued, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that everything I've read so far in this letter is false. (laughs) None of it is true. But Mom and Dad, it is true that I got a C in French and flunked math. And it is true I'm going to need some more money for my tuition payment. You see, even bad news can sound good. (laughs) Given the right viewpoint. There's so much of life in Christ determines on how you choose to perceive life in Christ. Here is a man and a woman, Elizabeth and Zachariah, who, in their culture, she would have been thought of as being cursed. They were surrounded by people that weren't following rightly after God. They had every reason 
to be bitter. They had every reason to just follow along with the flow, yet they had a different perspective on life. They knew the goodness of God in the land of the living. They knew that God was in control. They knew that God was good all the time. They knew that regardless of this horizontal view of life and how it may not be going exactly as we had planned, they knew that God was at work. And they fixed their heart and their mind upon him. Knowing that their best hope for success, their best hope for the best life, not the good life, not life, but the best life, was to fix their hope, their eyes, and their life upon God. As a result of that, God is giving them in this day, in Jesus' word, probably the second highest honor penned in the Bible when it comes to a husband and wife. Second only to Mary and Joseph who were given the blessing of giving birth to and raising God himself. Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest man who walked the face of the earth. And they're given the privilege of being the mother and the father of this man. Another point I want to draw out, and I have to hurry, is uh, notice that God brings that calling Zacharias in the midst of his service. It's interesting when I look back on all the men who've impacted my life and ministry, and I consider their story. Every single one of them received their calling in the midst of moving forward in life in the calling of that moment that God had placed on their life. They were serving God where God planted them, and then God came and gave them the calling. It's been said you can't turn a car that's not moving. Zacharias was a man who was righteous and blameless in fulfilling the calling in that moment that God had on him. And it's in that service, as he's moving forward, that God brings forth another calling, in this case, that he and Elizabeth would give birth to John the Baptist. So you might be sitting here with 
thoughts about what you want to do in life and where you want to go. I want to put before you that whatever God has for you, you're going to find it by being faithful to serve him today where he's planted you. Do you catch that? So often we look down the road and try and get ourselves to where we think God wants us to be, but we delay God getting there because we're delaying the preparation work that he needs to do because we're not being faithful today in the calling he has for us. You'll never get exactly to where God wants you to go unless you're faithful in your todays on where he has you. Zacharias is a great example of a man who's serving. And you can look throughout the Bible and time after time after time we see that that's a truth. That in the midst of the daily task, God calls us. As we would look further to the story, we also recognize that being righteous and blameless doesn't mean you don't have times where your faith is weak. Zacharias winds up, essentially, it's pretty innocuous in the reading, but clearly the way it came across to Gabriel was your doubting my word. As a result of that, Gabriel basically says, it's going to come to pass, but you're going to be mute until it comes to pass because you didn't believe my word. And you might sit there and go, yeah, but it's such an incredible thing. They were advanced in age. Twice it says, they were advanced in age probably past childbearing years. And of course he's going to question, how can this be? Except he's a priest. Probably pretty knowledgeable, you think, of the Old Testament writings. Probably pretty knowledgeable about a story of a man and a woman, Abraham and Sarah. He was dead and she was older than dust. (laughs) And God brought forth a son. And we laugh about that. But can I ask you a question? How often do we question God about what he's doing in our life? Having experienced the goodness of God, having experienced his deliverance, having experienced him time and again working things out for our good to his glory, how many times have we experienced that? And then we're confronted with a problem and we cry out, Woe is me, God. I am undone. I can't handle it. How many times do we 
find ourselves there. We laugh. But isn't it the fact that we laugh at ourselves? He knew the stories. Time and again, he can reflect back on his knowledge. The encouragement to us is to not forget and to bring forth into our todays the past faithfulness of God to help us navigate the current in a way that will bring him glory. He's always faithful. He's never not been faithful, and he can't be anything but faithful. It is his character. And no matter how big the mountain, no matter how great the struggle, he will be faithful and see us through. That's why Zacharias was dealt with in that way. Because he questioned the faithfulness of God. I'm hungry too. <laughs> so, as we consider that, let's not be those people that would question the goodness of God. As we wrap up in this section, we want to go back to verses 16 and 17, because in that, we're given the ministry of John the Baptist. And you might ask the question, why a forerunner? Why John the Baptist? I mean, if you're going to send your son into the world, just send him, right? I mean, He's God. He doesn't really need somebody to come before him, does he? The reality is, is there's a preparation work always for the son to come in to a life. We would read in those passages, verse 16 and 17, he, John, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I reflect back on how I came to faith in Christ. And in those verses, I see the work that needed to be done. I first needed to turn. I needed to turn away from my view of life and turn back to the reality that I don't have all the answers. I needed to turn back away from the things of this world to be open 
to the things of God. I needed to secondly grieve over relationships that weren't what they should have been. First and foremost, my relationship with God. And secondly, my relationships with others, which were destructive instead of productive in life. I thirdly needed to acknowledge my sin and allow for God, fourthly, to soften my heart to be ready to receive the truth claims of Christ and the work he did for me on the cross. So why John the Baptist first? Because there was a breaking up of fallow ground, a tilling of soil, a planting of seed, a watering and tending of the garden such that the master um, farmer could come along and do his work and reap me into the kingdom of God. And that was the role of John the Baptist. And can I also say, in the same spirit, that's our role in the world today. To go forth and be used of the Lord to help people to turn and to grieve over relationships that aren't what they should be to the acknowledgement of sin and a softening of heart so that they'd be ready to receive the truth of what we're about to partake in now, that God loved them so much that he sent his son to die on a cross, that those very sins they now acknowledge could be forgiven and they could be redeemed and become a child of God. Amen? So as the worship team comes back up and the ushers come forward and pass the elements, consider, let's consider our own hearts before the Lord. Because I consider Zacharias and Elizabeth, though they were blameless and righteous, they were not perfect. They too had areas of their life that needed to be worked on. Just like you and I. But the key is they were people after God. Oh, that we would be the same. And as we consider what Christ did on the cross, let us also consider if there be anything within us that God needs to work in and change so that we can be those people he can use in a perverse and dark generation to shine forth his light. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we studied the word this morning. If you would like more information about Sela Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. 
Thank you again, and God bless.